This is Music Ed Amplified. Hello, Music Ed Amplified listeners. Welcome back to the podcast, or welcome for the first time. This is a place where we serve up a huge helping of real life from the perspective of a music teacher who is on the road to becoming an anti-racist, anti-bias, anti-ableist human being. And can I say something real quick? Of course I can. I have the mic. Anyway, today is actually the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Or maybe it's birthday. I honestly don't know. But anyway, I just want to say a tremendously heartfelt thank you to each one of you who has taken the time and effort to listen to Music Ed Amplified. I cannot believe we are 24 episodes and over 17,000 downloads into this work one year later, and we still have a long way to go. Anyway, that's as sappy as I'm going to get today, but it had to be said. I was introduced to the work of today's guest, Carla Bell, the graceful educator through our mutual friend, Jasmine Fripp, the passionate black educator. Jasmine told me that Carla was a wonder and that I had to meet her and talk to her on the podcast. And no surprises, she was 100% correct. Carla is a mentor and presenter who uses equity, anti-racist and trauma-informed lenses in her own program to facilitate graceful learning spaces for scholars and who empowers fellow educators to do the same. She leads and serves on equity and curriculum teams and facilitates professional development at the school, district, and state levels. And in this spirit, I try to keep of honesty and transparency, even when it's incredibly embarrassing. I have to say before you listen that I am absolutely mortified at a mistake that I made about five times in a row at the top of the interview. Instead of saying trauma-informed, I've made a mistake that I've made before. I kept saying trauma-enforced. I don't want to think about what this means about me, but I did want to apologize to you and Carla for that mistake. So with that in mind and hoping you will give me some grace, let's get to the interview. So Carla Bell, the Graceful Educator, welcome to the Music Ed Amplified podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and I'm excited about our conversation. (laughs) Yes, I got a recommendation that pointed me to your work from our mutual friend and very good friend of this podcast, Jasmine Fripp, the passionate Black educator and just all around amazing human being. And she was gushing about you, honestly. I mean, she was like, Missy, you have to get her on the podcast. You have to look at her stuff. She is a gem. So I just thought that would be a cool thing to say to you, (laughs) to just encourage you because we all need encouragement. I appreciate it because Jasmine is also a gem. Um, Mm -hmm. She is agreed. amazing work um, and she is an amazing soul. So just to even have her recommend me is an honor. Um, so I hope I do her proud tonight. <laughs> well, I don't doubt that that you will. And she really was singing your praises in a way I think you should be proud of because she was like, and I love that. I want to see more and more like music educators uplifting other or just educators, teachers, yes. encouraging each other. Because I think we all are aware that we're sometimes all we've got. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in Delaware, but here in Jersey, sometimes you need to look for some love somewhere because you can feel very alone. It is very similar here, and it's only a bridge separates us. I know, it's not far. (laughs) Yeah, and from where I live, it's literally like 18 minutes away, I think, to get to the Commodore Berry Bridge from where I live. Um, But anyway, so whenever Jasmine comes up, because we're talking about, then you're going to have to come up too. It'll be very easy. Absolutely. She can pick you up on her way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, so like I said, she pointed me to your work um, and I found you under the Graceful Educator on Facebook, um, Instagram, website. And from what I've seen, um, and now I've heard you speak quite a few times on your uh, on your social media, you have this wonderful and crucial focus on 
equity and um, anti-racist practices. Uh, but I love that you combine it with the use of a trauma-enforced lens, which I have to tell you, sometimes when I hear trauma-enforced, I'm confused. Like, I don't think I always know exact. I can, like, feel out what that means. But if you could talk about that, what this means to you, like when, when I say this to you and how it plays out um, every day in your teaching, I would love to hear that. And like as a primer for me, what does this mean, you know, through a trauma-enforced lens? I would love to hear it. Sure. Um, so when we think about, you know, having a, a trauma-informed lens, uh, oh, I said, I said, <laughs> did I say trauma enforced? It's okay. Um, cause I, it's, it's okay. Um, so when we, we <laughs> trauma informed, <laughs> oh my gosh, that when, is the we, worst. when we, uh, think about, you know, things, um, with a, with a lens, a trauma informed lens, what we're really considering is that person's story, that person's story mm. when they walk into your space, when you encounter them. So mm. Everything that that person has ever been through, good, bad, upside down, sideways, diagonal, they bring it with them uh, to that space. And sometimes uh, what they've been through has been really awful. And we have to remember that everything we go through impacts everything we do. So if you think about something that has happened, you probably alter your behavior based on what has happened. Yes. Right. So, for example, if you are in the kitchen and the stove is hot and you accidentally bump against the stove, you now have a burn. So the trauma of the burn is going to help you remember two things. Number one, I'm not going near the stove anymore. Right. And then number two, I'm now going to begin to take care of this wound that I have because of the burn. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, having a trauma informed lens is is much like that burn story. So when a student, when a person, whenever you encounter them, you just have to remember that they have a story and every decision, their feelings, their behaviors, it's all based on what they've been through. And everyone's uh, behavior and attitude and decision-making is, is, is based on that. Sometimes they choose things uh, to protect themselves. Our physical body responds uh, based on what we've been through. And so that is what we consider when we have a trauma-informed lens. And we recognize that that plays out differently in everyone's life. Hmm. So how that works in the classroom. If you have a student, for example, who may have come from maybe an abusive background, you know, they've been in places that have been unsafe, it's going to take them some time to trust you because they've been in places that have been unsafe. Maybe they had adults that um, betray their trust. So for them, they may see adults as like red signal and say, absolutely not. The last time I trusted an adult, this happened. And so they might be very guarded um, or they, they might be very standoffish when it comes to having relationships or conversations or answering requests from an adult and because of what they've been through. So because I know that ahead of time, I now have to make sure that I put things in my environment that might be routines that might be a check-in. Uh, it might be a few moments for that student to cool off or calm down from a um, active space. So I factor all of that in when I encounter that student from day to day while I consistently make sure my, my space is safe. We have students that may, uh, for example, their physical body responds based on, and a lot of, when you think about trauma-informed, we also think about our physical body. When we're in danger, our body responds first. It goes into survival mode. So if we're in spaces where our survival is threatened or we feel like we're in danger, everything else is off limits. Right. My primary goal is to survive. Um, and so our students or people that we encounter, if they're always in survival mode, that is how they respond. Um, and because I know that, and if you know that, then you can make different decisions in your space to help them feel more safe. So that is how it informs our classrooms and how it uh, really just informs educational practice in general when it's used properly. So in my classroom, I have um, fidget box, for example, that has a bunch of little toys, things that students feel antsy or anxious 
um, because, you know, we just came off a year of virtual learning. So right. Exactly. And so they recognize that within themselves. They may mm-hmm. recognize like, you know what, I'm starting to feel a little antsy or unsafe right now. So they will get something and they'll use it or invite stretch it, whatever the, the fidget might be. Right. They use it until they feel better. They'll say, hey, Mrs. Bell, I'm, I'm having a moment. Is it OK if I take a quick walk? So I have a partnership with another teacher across the building. And so I'll give her a quick call and I'll say, hey, I have a student that just needs to calm down. I'm sending her with this purple folder. Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) That student takes the walk and they come back and they feel better. Um, I love that idea. Yeah. So I also like when I'm choosing repertoire with our students, because it's a collaborative process, we also choose songs that align with things that students care about Mm. and they feel safe with. So um, this year's theme is songs that brought us through. So they have, the students and I have chosen songs that while we were home, really helped us stay encouraged. Um, And so a lot of our repertoire this year is songs that helped us feel safe. Mm. Wow. So that's just a few examples of how, you know, understanding trauma, how it informs the work uh, that I do in and beyond the classroom. All right. And how can we know our students individually better Um, you know, one of the things, and it kind of ties into, uh, some decentering. One of the things that I always make a point of doing is just being a human being. Mm. And I'm a human being when my students are in the classroom and I'm a human being when they leave. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times as teachers, we make our position, our identity, instead of understanding that the position is exactly that. It's a position, it's a role that we serve in. And remembering at the end of the day, by the time the dust settles, we are humans, right? So it's one human being to another human being. And while I may have been walking a little bit longer as a human being, it doesn't make me less of one. It doesn't make them less of one. So at the end of the day, we are humans that share very common experiences, pain, joy, laughter, sadness, uh, anxiety. Like we, we share things that are common to the human experience. And so when I know that I make a point every day to display my humanity, Mm. one of the things we always, you know, we've always been trained as educators is to you're in charge, you know, what you say has to happen, right. The center of the universe. And they will never use that term, but essentially they train us to be that way. Sure. They train us to say, hey, you're in charge here and you have to make sure kids are doing what they're supposed to do and they're on task and they're safe. And instead of viewing them as fellow humans, we have turned them into a task list. Mm-hmm. So we, we think about the pressures that come with being an educator. We always have deadlines hanging over our heads. And for music educators, we always have performances right. you know, hanging over our heads. Yeah. So we have some deadlines that are always kind of sitting on our shoulders and a lot of times we allow the pressure of the deadline to um, push us off of humanity, mm. push us off of that, that place of humanity. And because we allow that to happen, we dehumanize our students. And really, we do it to ourselves, too. Like, yeah. at, at what point did, did I stop being a human just because right. I stepped inside of the school building for the day? So, you know, part of it and, and understanding and getting the opportunity to hear student stories and, and learn who they are and what matters to them is just being willing to be a human. So when my students come in, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you made it back over the weekend. I always say welcome back, like even virtually welcome back. Right. You made it. I'm glad you're safe. And it was one day I'd logged in uh, while we were virtual and I didn't say, you know, good morning. I'm glad you're here. And I must have been distracted trying to take care of something else. And I didn't say it. And the students were like, you didn't say you were glad we were here today. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm glad you're here. I I do. I start every class. You know, you were born for the time you'd be needed most. Like I always encourage them when we start. Um, And I let them know that I care about them every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't tell them and they don't know. And I can honestly say just being genuine and being a human has made a huge difference. If I see a student whose head is down, I go over and sit and say, pick your head up. I always just say, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Do you need a minute? Is it something I can do to support you? It's one of my favorite questions mm. to ask. Is there something I can do to support you? Or another question I'll ask is, hey, 
Did you get any rest last night? Are you hungry? Because the truth is a lot of students want to be engaged, but there might be something. And again, it goes back to that trauma informed lens. Like it might be something that's literally getting in the way of them being engaged. So if if my body has to choose between survival and learning, it's going to choose survival. So yeah, Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. So it's, that is how we get to know our students better is just deciding to be a human and caring about them from the minute they walk in the door. Yeah, that's uh, something I've been working on. Now, this has been, I guess we're going on like three years or four years of um, I've just kind of committed to I've always memorized the students names. Uh, so I see about 450 and I know there are people who see many more students um, I've always been good at memorizing names, but I realized I wasn't, I didn't just, I just didn't care enough about each student because I think I was like, that's not possible. That's too many kids. I can't. And so what I decided to do um, and have been able to do by God's grace uh, is lean into what I can do. Like that's, So I tend to have like very much like all or nothing thinking like, well, I can't do that. Therefore, I won't even try to do that. Mm -hmm. But like I said, a few years ago, I just here's how I started. Not only am I going to know their names and I've always worked on saying names correctly, not perfectly, but it's always been important to me. Every time I see this child, I am going to use their name in the hallway, going to the bus at lunch. Um that for some reason for me was a big turnaround to be very intentional to say these things. And then three years ago, I know for sure I was doing this greet them at the door thing, which now I do all the time. And if I don't, they know, you know, they're like, why are you over there? I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, I was like fiddling with technology and I didn't make it to the door on time. Um, And just today a student actually said, how come we're not doing this poster? So I had one of those posters with the, they could come in and punch, which they loved. Oh. One of these boxes of like hug, um, air five, uh, dance party, something, something, you know. And he, he said, I miss doing this. And I said, oh. you know, I guess just because of COVID, I was like, oh, we're not, because c- it was a lot of like touch. Right. So I said, but we're going to figure something out. We're going to figure something out. So that for me has been one way um, to connect with my students. And that's been my thing in the past two years saying I need more connection uh, with the students. So my problem has never been being human, but I realized I'm just being human like I'm a performer. Mm. Like I'm very, I've always been, I'm definitely a TMI human being, but even with my students, like they know all about my kids and my dogs and my feelings. I'll tell them I'm just having a crappy day. (laughs) You know, I just, but I realized it was not always reciprocal. Like it it was almost like, but I don't care about your day, but let me just tell you about my day. So it's, I really love hearing you talk about because you are the way it should be, which is I care about you. That's one thing. I'm sad to say, but honestly, I have to work to be like, I care about you because of you, not because of something to do with me. <laughs> you, know? you know, something else too, like, you know, I always think of my students, I think of them in two ways. I think of them as seeds and I also think of them as walking solutions. So mm. if we think about it, they are our world changers. They are yeah. our they're the ones that are going to turn this world even more upside down <laughs> um, and, and hopefully in a great way. But when you think about it as these are walking solutions and every point of contact, every opportunity I have with them, I want to make sure it's quality because they're going to remember this. Yeah. They're going to remember what happened in this space. Um, and they're also seeds. If you're, you know, if you're not, <laughs> I always think of educators as farmers. Like you have to know that what you put in the ground, you're not going to see tomorrow. It may be months, years down the line yeah. before what you planted sprouts. So, you know, knowing that students are seeds and and how we care and nurture for them makes a difference in how they grow. Mm. I I really love that. Thank you for that. That's yeah. That's uh, packs a powerful punch to think about. Well, 
my next question kind of flows naturally from that. And I feel like you've touched on it already, but you talk about um, the importance of showing up in the work. And I would love to hear you just talk more about that and, and why showing up in particular is such an integral part of um, equity work in a music, you know, classroom or rehearsal space. Um, and I think here's another phrase, right? Like trauma informed, um, <laughs> it is showing up. That's something I think that's easy to say. And you even kind of have a little picture of it is what it is. But I'm wondering if you have like, when you talk about it, more specifics, like what does showing up look like in a way that's going to really impact these seeds that we're planting, you know, when I think about showing up and I share it with my students as well, like showing up means I bring everything about me with me and I don't leave anything behind. So for example, if I, well, let me, let me backtrack a little bit as music educators, as musicians in general, we are perfectionists. Mm -hmm. I'm going <laughs> to call it out. Like in this field, we struggle with this horribly. Yep. Um, and so we don't like to show um, our areas of weakness. We don't like to show when we're not good at something. We don't like to display our failures. Um, we have educators that avoid entire genres of music because they're not comfortable teaching it. Mm -hmm. So there are so many things that we just don't bring with us because we, we think that it will be viewed um, as a failure or will be, looked, will be looked at as inadequate. And so when we talk about really showing up, it means I bring everything with me. That includes the areas that I struggle in. It includes the areas that I'm still personally working through. And I let my students see that because, you know, we can show them what it means, you know, what well means. And I'll use that term very loosely, but like we can show them what well or good means. But do we show them enough of what it looks like to bump our heads or right. stumble or, or not do well <laughs> or not do well or recover, you know, from a mistake? Do we show that enough? Probably not. Mm. Do we show them what it looks like to be a learner even at this stage in our life? So we are always learners and we have to show what that looks like throughout the course of our lifetime. Sometimes we think like, oh, I was a student once. No, we're always students. We never stop learning. So when we think about showing up, it means bringing everything with me and not leaving anything behind. Understanding that it's going to mean that we're vulnerable. It's going to mean that we're going to show things that may not look favorable, but somebody's going to learn from the areas that don't look, you know, favorable. They're going to learn from that and they're going to learn how to recover and grow uh, and also encourage someone else to do the same. Um, the other part when I think about showing up is asking hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> showing up means asking the hard questions and not leaving until we deal with the hard answers. Um, so when we walk into a space and we might not um, have the answer, but we know that question is sitting there and we're like, I'm afraid to ask this. I don't want to ask this. I'm afraid what might happen if I ask this. Right, right. Showing up means I bring that with me too. I bring that to that question that I know I've been sitting on that I know needs an answer. And I've been afraid of it. I bring that to. Mm. So that unfortunately we hear it all the time of show up, but it literally means don't leave anything behind. So anything you've been taught to hide, bring it with you. Show up and bring your basket, bring the whole thing, <laughs> bring everything. And, <laughs> and if you need two baskets, yes. yeah, there you go. Bring your baggage, bring your luggage. Bring it all. Some of us need a big rolling suitcase. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're not taught that because we're taught to always, you know, show your best side. Well, my best side is not best all the time. Right. But we're not all Instagram models. No, we're not. And if, <laughs> Even the Instagram models aren't Instagram models. <laughs> and, too, and it's something I tell the students all the time, too. Like, hey, do you think people post their worst picture? No. Right. They post their best one. Right. They so, take 42 pictures and the very best one. Is the one that they post. But are they really showing up? No. Right. Mm, that is, I like that analogy. There's something there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about what this means, you know, for the profession. And I know that um, 
when you consult with teachers who are looking to do these things, um, who want to show up, you know, and I guess you just brought them up, you know, those habits, I guess, perfectionism. Um, is there anything that you think, I'm sure there is something you think, um, has to be cultivated in it, in its place. So, okay, we're showing up, um, we're bringing every part of us, anything in there that, um, you think is like a good tip for people who are trying to do this on a practical level, or is it just bring the stuff with you? I think from a practical level, I think you just have to sit down with yourself and unpack your own story. Mm. We don't, it's funny, I was just talking uh, with pre-service teachers the other day about how important it is to reflect. We don't do enough self-reflection. And so from a practical standpoint, um, and we could talk about strategies all day long, but when we really are talking about showing up, it's internal. So it's me sitting down with my story and saying, how did I get here? Based on what I've been through, what myself as a learner, because think about it, you as a student informs you as a teacher. So your, you know, your personal experiences as a learner, as a musician, all of those things. Have I ever sat down and unpacked how I got to this moment? Mm -hmm. If what I see right now is not what I saw in my heart when I signed up for this, where, where did I lose my way? Did I ever start on the right path in the first place? Right. And so, you know, whenever I consult with a teacher, I always say, hey, talk to me about your story. Talk to me about how you how you got here. Yeah. You know, what what have you been through? And as that person unpacks, I jot down some notes. I can hear, you know, was did that person go through an awful all state audition and they were devastated? Did mm. they um, you know, did they have to perform in front of the class and it didn't go well? Or, you know, <laughs> were they ill and they missed a semester of some, you can always hear, you know, kind of how, and there's the trauma informed lesson. I was just going to say, you can hear the trauma. Yes. You can hear like how they got to this point. Did they have a jury in college at the college level? And they had an awful professor that just was so harsh. Like you can literally hear how they got to this point. Who did you view as a teacher mentor? Who do you value most? And so when I consult, that's the first question I ask. I said, tell me your story. Talk to me about how you got here. And once we unpack that story, then we begin to take it apart. And I say, do you see what happened here? <laughs> right. Do you see how you, you know, kind of adopted this mindset about this or that? And they go, oh my gosh, yes, I never sat and thought about it. And really it's just because we're not in the, in the practice of reflection. We just don't as a whole, we just don't sit down and think about or reflect on the things that we've been through and mm. understand how it influences and impacts the work that we do now. Mm. Well, you know, it's funny. I was, I'm still going to ask you this question about decentering, but as, as you're speaking, I think it's kind of, it's an interesting dichotomy to think about. It's like, we have to show up, right? Bring who we are, every part of us. Um, we have to do the work, right, of l- reflecting, thinking about who who we have been in the past, who we are now, how those connect. So there's like all this focus on us. Yes. And now somehow we have to decenter ourselves. So can you speak a little bit um, about what that means to you, because you you said it earlier in the interview talking about decentering. So I was just thinking it's kind of funny. You have to do this like internal work. Yes. And now when we're in the classroom, we have to not be the most important, you know, thing going on in that classroom. So I'd love to hear you talk about decentering and and the importance of that. Sure. So, you know, how we we just took this journey with our own personal story Right. So in that moment, we unpacked how we got there. We unpacked who influenced us. We got all that. And then the through way is, so let's now put ourselves in the position of the learner. Mm. Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember sitting in that seat? Do you remember the words that that professor spoke to you and it completely devastated you? Do you remember that feeling? And they go, oh my gosh, yes, it was horrible. And I say, okay, so let's start there. When our students enter our space, what exactly do we want them to feel? 
And have mm-hmm. we asked them what they feel now? And that is how we tie these pieces together. So a lot of times teachers have trouble decentering simply because they've been taught that they're the center of the educational universe. What I say goes, this is what happens, but why? Because subconsciously or intentionally, they've been taught that all the way through. Right, right. So now I'm saying your identity is not your position, one. The second thing I'm saying to you is there's something in that student that reminds you of you. Be the person that you needed someone to be for you, Mm, right? Yes. The other thing is, what is it about this space that makes you feel like you have to be needed all the time? Were you not needed enough before? Right, right. (laughs) Right? So what is- That's a tough one. It is, because what makes you feel like you're the one that always has to be needed? You are not the authoritative source in your space. You're a resource. Because once your students leave your space, they're going to need to pull on many resources. Right. You're not going to be there. <laughs> Hello? So, so it's also that taking that step back and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to be who I needed someone to be for me. Right. Um, and once I recognize that my identity is not, not, not tied to my position and that I don't need to always be needed to be valuable. Then oh, I like that. I Wait, can service say that one. Say that one again. I don't need to be needed all the time to be valuable. Hello. I am valuable. Even if no one says, Hey, Mrs. Bell, I need you to help me with, mm. because if I'm doing my job properly, I have worked alongside the student enough so that now they can do it on their own. Mm. I, they can do it on their own. So to me, the joy is like, when I walk in and I see student leaders helping other students, I'm like, uh, we right. Might. Yeah. Because now they feel confident enough and they have the tools to be able to not just help themselves, but encourage someone else along the way. And that's what we want. That's honestly what's going to flip our world in the right direction is recognizing that we're not in competition with each other. We're really in community. So what do we need to do? What do I need to not do or do to make right. sure my students know that I'm just a resource and I want to help you be a resource to someone else as well? Hmm. I like that. Um, when I'm talking about a program that I teach called Conversational Soulfish, I always say that one thing I love about this, the philosophy behind the program or something that's risen to the top for me is it's not that it's teaching them um, quarter notes, eighth notes, 16th notes. It is. That's part of it. And right. those things are important. Not as important for some students as other students. You know, not everybody is going on to be professional musicians. Right. But what I love about the program is I always say it teaches them how to learn. They're learning how to learn so that even if I don't teach them um, like dotted quarter, eighth note, whatever, you know, whatever figure, when they get on to fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I have hopefully guided them to kind of pull out these tools to say, okay, I don't know that, but I know how to learn it. I know, you know, I learned that to me, that's as a teacher, that's one of the pinnacles for me practically. Like, you know what I mean? That they're like, I want to learn. And I know how to, I feel confident. I know that I don't know it right now, but I know I can get there. And so this kind of is like an analog to that, like what you're saying. Absolutely. I've I've actually turned really into a bank, a resource bank. So, Mm. you know, if students are working on something and they, they keep hitting a wall with it and I say, I drop a seed and I say, have you considered this? And they go, I never thought about it that way. Right. And then take them on a different pathway. Or I notice they might hit a wall again. And I say, hey, I have these resources. Do you think any of these might work for you? Right. Mm-hmm. And they get to choose which one works best for them. So if we're, for example, if I give out music, I give their voice parts. I put their voice parts in our learning management system for them to access at any time. I also might go over it. There are lots of ways that they can access what they need. Right. So if they're still stuck at the end of the day, they can still come back and say, I took a look at all of the resources that you gave me and I'm still stuck. Do you have something else? Right. And I, 
absolutely have you considered this? Right. And guess what? They It works for them and they go, great. And they move on to the next thing because all I am is a resource bank. So now my responsibility as an educator has changed. So now I'm just a hub. Right. Now I'm just a hub. So when I learn, I'm learning to, to be a hub. So kids can come to me and say, do you have something that would help me with that? And I'm going, sure, here you go. <laughs> You're able, they're able to, to problem solve and troubleshoot and, and help along the way. Now, am I still available to step in when needed? Absolutely. But my identity is not tied to it. Right. I'm, I'm not like, I know that I'm a resource to them. And because they know that I trust them to learn, we don't have problems. I trust them. And I always hear, you know, aren't you afraid that your kids are going to lose their mind and go crazy and the classroom is going to be nuts? Right. Because if you think about it, most times when teachers struggle, it's because they're in a power struggle. They're right. literally. Oh, yes. They're in a power struggle. It's, yeah. it's the authority versus autonomy thing. So that student wants the ability to choose. You took their choice away. And so now they're going to they're going to argue with you about it and they're going right. to they're going to tussle and fight. So it's just I trust you to make the choice that makes sense for you, understanding your role in the community. Mm-hmm. And they do it. They rise every time because kids just need to be trusted. They go mm-hmm. their whole lot. They go so long not being trusted. Everything's done for them because no one trusts them to do what's right. Well, mm-hmm. how do you build that voice inside of you if no one trusts you? Mm. Yeah, that must be when you work with other teachers, pre-service teachers. Um, I'm imagining high school you know, directors, whether it's choir, band, orchestra, um, that must be one of the biggest um, road bumps in their thinking. Because I was thinking even just recently, I was presenting somewhere and somebody said, well, this is all well and good, but like, I need to teach, you know, B flat and I need to teach, you know, it was, and I, and I just said, and I'm not an expert, you know, on what you're talking about. But I remember saying like, is that really the most important thing that right. you have to, t- I, I could teach, I don't know anything about teaching high school band, but I bet I could figure out real fast how to teach a student a B flat. That seems like something I could take care of pretty quickly, but like, shouldn't connecting with your students and helping them blossom as learners. And so what they were saying, and the, but the thing is, I get the question because of how we've been trained. Yes. Because we are so performance focused, yes. you know, how, how can we get these teachers to let go of that? Do you have any advice for that? Because it still goes back to that personal work on the inside and recognizing mm. my identity is not tied to my position. I am still valuable, even if students don't say, can you help me with? Because here's the thing. Students have access to more information than they've ever had. Right. Like we have Google. We have yeah, Google. Right? We have YouTube. We have YouTube. Um, we call it in our house, YouTube University, girl. Yes, exactly. YouTube University, right? <laughs> they have access to so much information, but what they don't have is someone to help them use it. Yeah. So or navigate it. Or like- navigate it, right? So our responsibility now as educators, we've now had to shift. Mm. I am no longer... Again, the authoritative source. I am no longer the know-all. Right. We have Google now, right? So now my my role has shifted. So I now have to support you on your journey with this information mm-hmm. and show you how to properly use it so it works best for you. Because that's what Google mm-hmm. can't do, right? Yeah, right. So think about what is it that you can do that right now, social media, Google, whatever, cannot Yes. That's what you have to constantly be thinking about. Because if you don't, you'll mess around and you won't have a job. You won't because the internet would have taken your job for you. Right. So our responsibility, and again, it goes back to that internal work. And I I wish there was a better way to say it, but it's just the truth. It's knowing for yourself, I am still valuable, even if it isn't the way I was trained for it to be. Yes. 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 I'm still valuable. And I have to take time to see how I have allowed my identity to tie to my role. Mm. Yeah, I think knowing that you have validity, you know, uh, is a struggle for anybody, I'm sure, in any profession or like, where are you finding 
that validity. Uh, let me see if I'm saying this the way I want to say it. What, what do I do in my classroom and knowing what I do not function as in the classroom, I think is what I'm taking away a lot from what you're saying. Like, um, what is my identity as a human being? Yes. And I'm, I want to say, I feel thankful. I give this to my parents. I have never, I, I definitely identify, you know, I feel like a huge part of my identity is being a teacher, but it's just part of it. It's just part of it. And I feel very grateful that I've always had a, I've always had a a firm knowledge of that. And then when I see younger teachers who, who don't, or older teachers, you know, who everything is wrapped up um, in the profession or just one part of their life. So I hear when you're saying that, it's like, I'm thinking of where I'm seeing this and I'm seeing it everywhere. So I like that idea of have, I'm not saying that you're saying it like this, this is me processing it. Right. Know who you are in the classroom. Know who you are not Yes. in the classroom. I, I keep saying it, but our, our students are brilliant. I, and I say it so much. They are so brilliant mm. and we just don't tap into it. They are brilliant. Yeah. And I, we don't, we also don't ask them enough what they think. So uh, anytime I am <laughs> working on something or we're trying to come up with something, I, I was facilitating a workshop about amplifying student voice and student leadership and you know, they were like, well, I'm responsible for recruiting for my program. And I was like, no, you're not. The kids are. <laughs> right. Like, and, I, and he was like, oh. and I said, no, I'm serious. The students are responsible. They are part of this recruiting conversation because they know students. So yeah. it makes who, sense that who they. best. <laughs> hello. So word of mouth is always the way that programs grow best. So are you utilizing what's on your plate that really could a student could do and mm. you're just hoarding it because right you don't trust them or you're afraid it won't be done well but you're yeah. robbing them of an opportunity to share their brilliance so mm. i look at my plate every year and i go a student could do this a student could do this a student could do this right. and that takes the pressure off of me and it empowers them and so we have students in our program that under normal circumstances would have never found their way down here but simply because a student found a student. So mm-hmm. it's literally what is on my plate? What's in my space? What am I doing that I shouldn't be doing that really belongs in the hands of a student? And again, it doesn't diminish my value. So we have teachers who their complete identity is tied to teaching. And I always say it like this. They have only one castle and their castle is their classroom. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's they may struggle in other areas because they may not be heard. Maybe they're not heard at home. Maybe they're not heard in another organization that they're a part of. And so their classroom is the only place where they feel like they have sense of control. Sure. Sure. You know, so mm. sometimes teachers struggle because this is the only thing they have to hold on to. Mm. And as hard as that is to say, it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet a lot of people listening are like, "Uh oh, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I want. This is one thing I I wish uh, I could get like all the listeners on board with because I think it's hard is to be open to confronting who you really are. Yes. Um, and willing to be not okay with it, but be okay with the question: Is that me? Am I? This is something. Um, I talk about a lot, you know, on my social media is when white people are talking to white people instead of whiteness protecting whiteness. Why can't we just be honest and say, man, you know, some people were saying like, you know, this, you know, white supremacy and 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 instead of getting immediately defensive, step back and say, is there some kernel of truth? in that for me and that's terrifying but it's also liberating yes because you can be honest and say oh no you know but guess what no growth is going to happen until you honestly 
face what's in your heart. And I hear that like throughout what you're saying, am I willing to admit this was me however many years ago saying I'm this control freak and it's manifested nowhere as much as it is in my classroom. And I took pride in that for a lot of years and it's embarrassing (laughs) to admit, but I'm okay because I'm so thankful that even though I'm not nearly like mastering it, I could change it and hopefully yeah. impact every student in my classroom. And isn't that what we want, right? Yeah, that, it should be. Isn't that what we want? And isn't that what we would want our kids' teachers to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I oh, think nobody about, wants to think about that. <laughs> oh, no. like, I think about what work is my daughter's teaching teachers yeah. doing? Are I they, think about it all the time. Are they doing their own self-work to make sure they show up every day? I ask that question. Am mm. I the teacher I would want my kid to have? Boom. <laughs> That's the one. And, and by the way, I'm going to say, yes, you are. See, <laughs> if, and if nobody's told you this week, I'm going to tell you. I um, <laughs> well, I appreciate you. I, before we go, I there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. I love um, your, I don't know what you call it, title, company, the graceful educator. Um, as I just explained, you know, I have a lot of feelings about how we, we're talking about things in education and music education in particular. Um, I think there's an awful lot of Um, unwillingness to face the truth. And then, and I want to be careful how I say this, because I think sometimes when I say what I'm about to say, people will misconstrue what I mean. Mm -hmm. So let me say, a lot of times I think there's also a lack of grace um, towards ourselves and towards others. Now, let me be clear. When somebody has wronged somebody, there's no need to be like, be nice to each other. Like, don't, that's what I was talking about, like misconstruing. Um, if you're being a racist and somebody calls you out on it, they don't need to be nice to you about it. So that's not what I'm talking about, everyone <laughs> out there. You know, because like a lot of times you're like, that was so mean how she said, she called me a racist, you know. Well, you know what? She was mad and she has every right to be mad. So I'm not talking about that. So I love that you're called, or you've called, you're called the graceful educator. How did that come about? What is it about grace that resonates with you and with the work you want to do both um, in with your students and with other educators? I'd love to hear about that. So um, actually, I'm going to unpack the concept of grace, and then we'll kind of trace our way from there. So sure. when we think about the concept of grace... We value progress over perfection. We view everything we go through as a lesson, as a joy. Um, Even our failures and our mistakes are there as tools and resources. Our mistakes are not weapons. Mm. Celebrate and we honor and we value every person we come in contact with and what they bring. And it's also recognizing that I may not be who I used to be and I still have room to grow. Mm. So when we think about the space of grace or we think about this concept of grace, it's understanding that, you know, we live in a culture where everything's rushed, everything's fast. Everybody wants things to be fixed right away. Everyone wants you to be perfect. (laughs) Everybody has an opinion. You know, you belong here, you don't. So we live in a, a very critical you know, self-serving culture. And grace is the opposite. Grace says, I care about the community I serve in and the community cares about me. It says that, you know what? This may not have turned out how I wanted it to, but I'm learning Mm. and people are learning with me and I care about them too. Um, And so I got there because I grew up, uh, I'm the oldest of four, And I always had to live up to someone else's expectations. 
Um, and anybody who's an oldest or an only, you probably resonate with this very well. Right. But, you know, always expected to be perfect, always expected to get it right, always expected to be quick, always, you know, and it got to the point where it was just crushing, mm. it was crushing, it was demoralizing. And one day I woke up and I said, I cannot continue like this. So there's that. And then I, I started, you know, this journey of understanding my identity and understanding my identity as a black woman mm-hmm. as well. And knowing, and, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, you're a black woman. So you should already know about racism or, you know, you've experienced <laughs> or whatever. A lot of assumptions, right? A lot of assumptions about a lot of things, but what people have failed to really understand is that even though I am a black woman, right. I have been a part of white supremacy culture. Right. 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 So that means sense of urgency. That means I've been taught to value quantity over quality. It mm-hmm. means I've been taught that I have to know everything to show up in a space, that I have to be perfect, that it's either or like it's right. That, you know, things are very binary. I've I've been taught that because that's the culture I grew up in, only to realize that it literally has crushed me and anyone that I've educated because that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. So when those two worlds collided, I said enough. Mm. I cannot continue like this. I cannot, you know, in good conscience and in my heart, you know, treat students the way I was treated. I can't do it. Um, And so I arrived at this place of grace. You know, Mm. oftentimes we want to come up with these elaborate strategies of dismantling racism. And there are. Please don't misunderstand me. I am not minimizing the big machine that racism is. What I'm saying is we change things one interaction at a yes. time. Yes. One interaction, one relationship, one discussion, one conversation at a time. And mm-hmm. so I decided that the antidote, the antidote to white supremacy culture is grace. So it's empathy. It is slowing down instead of always feeling like I have to speed up and meet someone else's expectation or deadline. It is deciding to not hold someone to some unrealistic standard. It is valuing progress and not perfection. And so I've decided to teach those principles instead. I could teach you about what not to do, but I'd rather teach you what to do. Mm. So let's let's share, you know, what it means to be in community with people and not in competition. Let's not be intimidated just because someone walks in the space and I feel like they're better at something than me. Yeah. Um, and so unfortunately in the realm of music and music education, there's a lot of that, um, where, you know, we walk in spaces and we feel like we have to wear our ego as a jacket. Right. <laughs> that's the best <laughs> Um, and, and we feel like we have to walk in all puffed up, but really that's not who you are. Yeah. You know, we started out talking about identity and it really, it comes back through again. So that is how I arrived at the space of grace. And it, it is the through line literally with everything that I do. Um, and so, you know, whenever someone says to me, how do we make the world better? Grace. <laughs> That's how yeah. we make the world better. It's with grace. It's saying, you know what? You don't have to be perfect around me. Sis, calm down. You need a, you need a drink? You need a quick, <laughs> one cup of tea? I got you. You hungry? hungry? We're hungry. We're going to eat. Right. So it's literally, we're human beings. Yes. We are human beings that have common experiences and we deserve to be honored and celebrated and lifted up as often as possible. There are things like we were talking about Jasmine at the beginning. There are things I honor and celebrate and love about her. And I'm going to lift her up because that is yes. her. Goal. And there are things where she does the same with me because you know what? We're not in competition. We're right. in, we're in community. Yeah. So when I understand grace, I understand that I'm not out to get you. I'm not. We're, we're working this together. We're walking together. Mm. And that's how I I got here. That's how I got to this place. Um, and it has been a blessing um, to me uh, and to the, the people that I've been able to be in contact with, because you can immediately see their defenses just come down. Like, you yes. can see, oh, wait a minute. She's she's not coming for me. She's she cares about me. Right. And, you know, if I'm sitting in an auditorium and, you know, there's a teacher up there and she's directing and the track stops. And you could tell she's frazzled. And in my brain, I'm like, sis, no work. Start the track over and start yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. It, it ain't worth it ain't worth the meltdown. <laughs> okay. It is not, it is not worth the meltdown. So it's 
It's understanding mm-hmm. that no matter what space we're in, you are allowed to be a human being mm-hmm. and all that that means. I love it. That's, yeah. that is a whole word as my friends like to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just really appreciate um, talking to you. And I have the sense that this is the kind of conversation that I, and I know uh, many, if not all of the listeners, like it's one of those like slow burn conversations because even like things that you said just a while ago are just kind of like settling in to my brain. And I hope that lots of the people uh, who are listening will bring you in or consult with you, check out your work because this whole profession of ours and certainly our world uh, could just exponentially benefit from the things that you're talking about. There's no shadow in them. It's just all, you know, ways to light up students and ourselves uh, in a time that's very dark and difficult. Yes. So I'm so grateful to have spoken with you. Certainly makes me feel like thankful for your students who are blessed to know you and to, you know, learn from you. And for the people listening to this, let's all think about the place of grace on our journey uh, for ourselves and for each other and certainly for students. Yes. Maybe not for their parents. I'm kidding, (laughs) (laughs) but not really. Um, Thank you so much, Carla, for being willing to, um, talk with me. It's been an honor uh, just to share. Um, it's yes. always to connect with other educators. <laughs> we silo, we tend yep. to and isolate. And so just to come out of our tent doors and, you know, have a conversation an encouraging conversation mm. um, about the world around us and how we can be better so that yep. we can serve our students our learners, our scholars better. Yeah. It's worth it. And I'm I'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity with you and hope to stay in touch with you. Absolutely. You, <laughs> you just ask Jasmine, you can't shake me once <laughs> once I'm once I'm in your life. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And um I look forward to seeing what happens on your journey next. I'll be watching and I know we'll be talking and seeing each other's work on the internet. internet. I'm thankful for the internet. Internet, did you hear what I said? I'm thankful for you. Be nice. Right. Internet, be grace, be gracious to me. (laughs) Cause you're not. (laughs) Anyway, Carla, thank you for being here. Thank you. Like I mentioned, this conversation is one that kind of sneaks up on you. Carla's dropping so many nuggets of wisdom and insight along the way that I could hardly keep up. One of the biggest, when she said, I don't need to be needed all the time. I was struck by the encouragement she gave to strive for progress over perfection and how we need to understand that we are valuable even if we're not needed every second of every class. Wow, so much to think about, especially as it pertains to doing the work of reflecting on my own story as a student, as a human, and as a musician. I hope you'll follow Carla on her social media accounts, which you can see on the episode webpage, and try to get her to come do work to help you and your colleagues learn about what it truly means to decenter. Thank you, Carla, for sitting down to chat with me. I am a better teacher and human because of it. For questions about the podcast, write to musicedwithmissy at gmail.com or reach out to Music Ed with Missy on Facebook or Instagram or on Twitter at DocStrong26. Our podcast music was composed and performed by Jeremy and Owen Strong. Jeremy also serves as the audio engineer and editor for the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would implore you to subscribe and rate it wherever you listen because this is the number one way we can get this out to more teachers. Thank you for spending time with me. 
I know you are busy and life is for sure demanding a lot from you, especially now in December. I hope it was worthwhile and that you're motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice. I'll see you next time. But until then, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, just world for your students, families, and community. 